This is Friday the 2nd of November. It's From the Valley Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Wilshere, Brisbane Business Life. I've got a very interesting fellow with me today. His name's Andy Verenchuk. Uh, he's got a very storied uh, career in recruitment and all, now in real estate. Uh, comes from the great country of Russia. Welcome along, Andy. Thanks for coming. Thank you very much, Tim, for having me here. So, yeah, podcast... Uh, I've, I've done about 15 or 16 of these episodes now, so thank you very much for agreeing to come on uh, late on a Friday afternoon. Uh, My pleasure. Uh, I've been wanting to, you to <coughs> come on the cod podcast because I think you'd prov- uh, tell us a bit of an interesting story, and I'd like to know what sort of what what you know everyday life is like in Russia. So tell us a bit about your background, how you grew up, a bit about your family, how you sort of got into the world. Sure, sure. So I was born uh, some time ago. It was 1974. Um, my father was actually um, a sportsman. He was actually in a modern triathlon. So basically, he was uh, participating in a Soviet Union um, international uh, team in various tournaments. So when I was born, he was already in um, helping sports, being as a sport um, specialist, mostly um, helping Soviet sport sportsmen to. Uh, trained to find the best ways to train to organizing tournaments back in Russia. So my mother was working um, with in, in a special organization which was set by the Russian authorities, which was uh, actually helping international embassies, representations of international companies in Moscow with everything, with drivers, with translators, with everything. And she was actually a teacher. She was a Russian language teacher. So she was working in various embassies um, basically teaching people, teaching ambassadors, their wives with the Russian language. And basically later on the Australian story started from then because she was working in the Australian embassy for some time. She had absolutely amazing relations with ambassador's wife, with people there. And actually Thursday night nineteen she was offered a um, to go for the MBA course in Australia. But before that, so um, my family um, was very, very busy in their job. Actually, when I was one years old, my family, my, my mother and father moved to India for three years because it was very, very special contract and I couldn't go because of some... In, did you say India? India, yeah, absolutely. Yep. It was Madras and Bombay, yes. So my grandmother was growing me up um, and English English became very important for me basically from being four years old. So it was when I was four years old, my mother was teaching me how to dump the sediment wall. And then I was studying in a special school. And basically, after I finished the school, um, I had my first trip to Australia, which was in 1993. 1993, wow, okay. Yeah, and certainly Australia was looking absolutely special. I had a chance to visit a couple of, couple of lectures in the University of Queensland. I was certainly you know, getting a little deeper in my, in my English knowledge. And also learning computers, which was like, just op- an opening world for me in 1993. Mm. And that was that was about 10 months. It was very, very hard time for me because there was no internet. I was missing friends mm. back in Russia very, very, very much. So it, it was not the, the, the best time for me. And whereabouts, so that 10 months, whereabouts in Australia? In Brisbane. In Brisbane, Brisbane yep. uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So my mother was working in the University of Queensland. Yep. So we were living in St. Lucia, which is, which is not, not too yep. far from here. Yeah, and um, so basically first probably five uh, years after the school I was studying in the university 
and also was trying to work in different industries. I was trying mm. to understand which is mine. Mm. And uh, so I guess in your earlier childhood, what did you sort of what did you get up to in your sort of early childhood? What sports did you did you play any sport or? Oh, absolutely. There was there was a lot of sport in in my life because again my father was in sports. So I was for about three years. I was playing tennis. I was also for a year playing table tennis I was trying different sports which didn't work really good for me like basketball because I'm not, I'm not the tall I was pretty I was pretty short when I was a kid uh, but mostly it was tennis I always loved football soccer very very much so basically every day uh, during the summer I was playing football in a playground near our actual apartment building during the um, winter which is very snowy in Russia I was playing hockey which was basically utilizing absolutely the, se- the same sports crowd so yeah absolutely every every day every day it was really good and what was what was your favorite sport out of all the different sports that you played absolutely football absolutely yeah. football and sports. soccer obviously yeah the, soccer yeah. Yeah, yeah and i'm actually a lifetime supporter of one um england team so oh, yes yeah, yeah. yeah it is it is definitely a lifetime passion definitely uh as an australian um yeah, England was definitely the world country in that had support for soccer. I remember the 19, I think it was 1988 World Cup, or was it 1990 World Cup? 1990 World uh, Cup was in Italy. Yeah, the one where England came fourth. Uh, they they lost to Germany on the penalty shootouts. Um, yep. I remember my favourite player was Paul Gascoigne. Wow, he's a naughty guy. He's a very naughty guy. He's a naughty guy. But that's why you're in his fifties. That's why um, that's why you like him, though. He's got a bit of Mm. bit of something about him, you know. But you know, he he was like the person that I looked to. So, gee, this guy, you know, sort of growing up, you know, somebody to. I don't know if he was sort of a a role model, but he probably didn't turn into a role model. Doesn't didn't want to be a role model, but he he was a crazy character. Um, Gaza, Paul Gaza, charismatic. Yeah, charismatic, but but one of the best uh, midfielders at the time uh, in the world. So you know he was he was great. Yeah, soccer. Yeah. So um, and, and you became an adult. You went to university. What did you study at university again? It was uh, economy and management. So the the economics and management. Well, yeah, yeah. it was like a general education. Yeah. Because the thing is that business stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah business stuff. Absolutely. The thing is that in Russia. Um, many people who, for example, are studying in, in law faculty or, let's say, medical faculty, they usually pretty often don't go this path in their life. So I chose to go for the economics and management because it was pretty new. It was 1992. You should understand that in 1991, basically, Soviet Union collapsed. Mm. And before that, we didn't have any economics. There was no free economy. And it was something new, and I wanted to go. So it was really very interesting. And tell us about some of your, I guess, your first jobs after you finished uni. What what did you sort of get into? Where were you working? Yeah, actually, they started when I was studying in the university because I really wanted to try something. The first job was, um, it was a state organization which was organizing various events like concerts, concerts, shows around the Russia. So I was just working there as a probably something like an administrative assistant. But that was just a try. Then I tried different roles. I actually tried to work in travel. I tried to work in, in a little bit, a little bit in real estate. But at that time, in Russia, it was a little bit wild. Um, I also was working in a computer shop in a really huge, large Moscow computer shop, which was also a very interesting experience. And then, absolute accidentally, I got into recruitment, which became my passion for next 17 years. The recruitment's certainly one of those big industries um 
from a consulting point of view, it's obviously headhunting. My, yep. my brother, um, who's, who's lived in China actually now for the last 16 years or something, uh, he, that's now what he's sort of, he's been into recruitment for most of that time. Wow. Uh, so he's made a living out of being a recruiter um, and he's got the multi-language skills so he can talk English, talk Mandarin, um, Cantonese. Um, living right. in Shenzhen near Hong Kong, so uh, recruitment. So tell us a bit about, I guess, the things that you really liked about working in the recruiting industry. Uh, what were the things that, I guess, was it your skill set that sort of suited that that type of industry for as long as you worked there, or what? Tell us a bit about it. Well, um, recruiting actually was was really fascinating for me because partly because I'm a sales guy and recruitment is also sales. So first. When you work in consultancy, you sell yourself to to your client, then you sell actually your client to a candidate, then you sell candidate to a client. So it's a triple sales. But uh, when I started recruitment, it was in 1998, the market was pretty wild. And the thing is that in, in a time when many major companies actually started their business, like from 1991 to 1998 when I started that, mostly they were not actually um, having any serious recruitment. They were mostly finding their relatives, their friends to run a business because they wanted to have something they trust. But at some point when your business is is large enough, you can't control anything. You can't actually have effective, you know, manual management and you have to, to build a system. And it was really, really fun when I was coming to some business owner, pretty big business, like a couple of hundreds, millions of dollars of turnover per year. And um, he never used recruitment agencies before. And in just one hour of conversation, I was turning him in. And I was living uh, mm. while he was already my client. That was, that was really fascinating in, in, in sales. And also especially, uh, the thing is that basically selling consultancy service is pretty hard because you can't touch them, you can't you know, smell them, it's, it's something which is pretty virtual. Uh, and uh, basically you're selling your, yourself, you're selling your, um, your approach. So it was really very, very interesting. And I would say my career was developing pretty fast. So um, one and a half years after I started, I already was um, actually one of the managers of recruitment companies. Yes. Uh, my top position in uh, consulting was when I was actually leading recruitment business in a uh, medium-sized consulting company, which was founded by uh, British company and Russian company, so it was a joint venture, and it was really interesting because I was basically relaunching the business, actually hiring a completely new team, training them, developing new sales strategy, developing new products. It was really very interesting, and then for another about eight years, I actually. Uh, changed into corporate business. So I actually became managing uh, recruitment departments and companies, which was also excellent experience because I was very, very blessed to work in, in firms where I was recruiting around the world. Mm. So one company was an inter- inter- entertainment business. It decided to go international. So we were looking for general managers in Mexico, Bolivia, Peru, Germany, Italy, and it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. That does sound really interesting and it can sort of, recruitment is one of those types of industries that I've seen that it does take you, it can take you globally, it can sort of, you can do business right around the world, it's it's one of those transferable type skills that's not really, you're not really honed into a particular 
jurisdiction, you do have to sort of uh, um, be aware of different uh, customs and cultures and that type of thing, I'm sure. Um, how did you find those sort of things, I guess, uh, other countries' cultures and, and how, how you're sort of doing business with other you know, candidates in other countries and businesses in other countries apart from Russia? Well, for me, it was pretty easy because, you know, I was feeling myself like a very international guy. I really love to travel. Frankly speaking, one of my childhood dreams was to work in a company where I would have a lot of international traveling by business. And this actually dream came to a couple of times. And yeah, it was it was really very interesting because basically it is interesting that Australia standing a little bit a little bit different because sometimes if you have an excellent work experience in Melbourne you can't find a job in Brisbane and vice versa it's it's absolutely different in Europe for example because in Europe there is a two hours of flying from one part to another part and for example when you have a position in Belgium you can very easy consider candidates from Germany from Luxembourg from Switzerland because the professional level is very very simple the same situation is in Mexico because Mexico is very close to US and there is a very very good connection between countries and basically um, United States way of doing business is influencing Mexican very very yep. dramatically so it's it's it, I didn't see any major challenges there that's really good that you're able to grasp all that that that's that tells you a bit about you know obviously understanding the different parts of the world and and having a bit of a sense of of uh, how they particular operate and what what they sort of get into. Um, yep. So tell us a bit about uh, is there did you sort of get to a point where after many years of recruitment um, you'd sort of done everything you could and that's why you decided you decided to look for for other things like now obviously being a real estate agent. Um, what what sort of led you to that decision? I guess. Yeah. Well, the thing is that um, basically for. The whole of my adult life, I knew that someday I will move to Australia because my mother is living here for many, many, many years now, about 25 years. And I was coming here pretty often in January. Mm. January is a very, very quiet season in Russian business, so you just go for vacation. And I always was enjoying being here, so I just knew I will have to move here. Yeah, it's not I will have, just I will choose to do that. Yes, so I found the right girl to become my wife and we decided to move so it was absolutely like a natural decision when we came to australia i was trying to look at the um recruitment market but the thing is that when you are managing for example recruitment department in a in a company with a lot of with multiple very very challenging tasks and you have about several people reporting to you and you have several recruitment companies actually reporting to you via their contract obligations it is not easy when you're offered a position of, I don't know, Woolworths recruitment specialist when you will be just, you know, hiring people into Woolworths supermarket. I mean, there is no, there is no any, any, um, you know, way I'm saying it's, it's a bad job or it's not a good job. It's just like, it's just a complexity of tasks. So I decided, I always was very much interested in real, in Australian real estate, especially when I started to travel. So I decided to look at the property market and I think it's amazing because if you look into American property market, it's very, very fluctuating. You know, it's like it's like banking shares at this day in Australia. Mm. It is fluctuating, but it's a different story in Australia. It's basically growing all the time. It, it is stabilizing, but mostly it's growing, and this is absolutely amazing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you look at you obviously look at the 
you know, the property market in Australia, what it's done. Obviously, the major cities, very expensive, Sydney, to buy. Yep. Obviously, considered overpriced, so the prices is not moving upwards at the moment in Sydney. But um, there's a lot of, uh, and obviously, the Brisbane market. Tell me what you think about the Brisbane market in particular and, and I guess, uh, why, you've, why, why is it Brisbane that you, you sort of love to live at you know now um look it's very very um interesting story because when i was coming here every january i was thinking about melbourne because um i'm a guy who was growing up in a big city and in melbourne i was feeling very very comfortable and um i mean i really loved melbourne it's a really great city and i was not thinking any second that i will be living in brisbane but when we came to brisbane first when we moved actually with my wife and my mother is here and actually day by day we have been discovering that we're feeling very comfortable here and there is so much to offer because one hour one way to the south you go to the Gold Coast which has so much to offer Tambourine Mountains you know beaches like Main Beach or Surface Paradise with high waves or Karambin with the, with the low waves I mean it's it's really amazing or you go north to Sunshine Coast, you know, Glass House Mountains. I mean, it's it's really amazing, and I'm I can say that at some point we understood that we don't want to move anywhere. We're very happy here. Yeah, no, that's that's great. It makes perfect sense. Um, so it's obviously makes sense to. It's a place that you want to live. It's it's got everything that you need here. Absolutely. It's got enough population. It's it's a good size for you. Um, tell us about the real estate market here. Tell us about some of your experiences in the real estate market here and. What I've noticed about you is you're looking, you you look at, at trying to add value to to a particular listing when when you get a listing. Well, um, the thing is that when I decided to go into real estate, I found uh, a couple of things. The first thing is that um, basically uh, real estate agencies are doing the same thing. There are no much change, there are no much differences. And the second thing is that people don't like real estate agents. Um, I remember when I when we just arrived to Brisbane, I decided to have a look at some units uh, in Kangaroo Point, and uh, I just came for an open home for one bedroom unit in Kangaroo Point, pretty cheap. And uh, when we have been waiting for an agent uh, out there, um, he came. He came and he was very very well dressed in a beautiful suit. He came on a new Mercedes Benz car, um, really looking luxurious and great. So he opened the door of a unit and I was the first to be in the kitchen. And there was a large fat cockroach lying on the on the bench top, you know, with his legs up, like saying hello, welcome to the house. And it was really a, an actual cockroach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, big actual <laughs> fat dead cockroach. Yeah, absolutely. And I was I was very disgusted because like, look, if you why can't you just come to the property three minutes before, or five minutes before you start the open home, um, and check the house? I mean, this is this is a very easy thing. It doesn't take a lot of needs yeah, a lot of efforts. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is that recently, a couple of months ago, I was inspecting another house, and there was another cockroach in the master bedroom ensuite shower. So, um, and I actually asked the the consultant to come and say, look, I was actually acting as a as a buyer I said look you have a cockroach here he said oh thank you very much for letting me know here just so the thing is that the the standard of property presentation is not very high sometimes 
Yeah. I don't understand one really very, very well-established agent in the area don't even take a vacuum cleaner with them. I mean, colorless vacuum cleaners are pretty inexpensive this time. And you, you take a vacuum cleaner once per two weeks, you clean the property and, and you feel good. You know, I mean, this is what you're selling. Yeah. I don't understand how the client, would, the vendor would be feeling if he knows mm. that his, his uh, real estate agent is not cleaning and really in a revolting condition. So I decided to start go to real estate, and my first target was to find uh, a mentor for myself. That was the reason why a, a mentor, a mentor, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. Uh, because I understood that I know nothing in in yeah, the industry. Need to learn, yeah. Yeah, I'm nobody. I have to learn. So I decided to go into Rain Horn Company, which was actually opening an office in Ascot. And um, unfortunately, my hopes to find a mentor didn't come. True. Unfortunately, I get, didn't get that support I wanted to get, and actually, in a couple of months, this office this office was closed because oh, there really? was some mismanagement with with some planning. So when I was searching for a new job for myself, I was going through many offices for many real estate companies, and I was asking the same question: What's the point of difference? And the answer was the same: We take good care of our clients. So when I found the Pinnacle Property Company I work right now, I saw that everything is different. The way the website looks, the way the office looks like, it looks more like a five-star hotel you know, suit. Uh, the way like, uh, and the product is different. The product is complimentary home staging for every client. Staging every property with beautiful furniture, with beautiful accessories, homewares, and etc. So probably that, that is the so, difference. I mean, I like the, I like the idea of the home staging. Um, do you sort of, I guess the thing, and that's a bit of a point of difference as to what Pinnacle Property does and and why you know that, that you should consider obviously that if you're selling a house, um, do they sort of, and obviously so the the Pinnacle actually pay um, gets all the different items for staging or how does that work? Yeah, it's very simple. We have we actually renting a couple of storages. Yep. We're buying the furniture. Yep. We're buying accessories, pillows, blankets, everything, towels for the home. So we're buying this and we use this for the staging. So we do everything by ourselves. And the thing is certainly, certainly it, it, it is associated with some, with some uh, costs because you have to pay for the storage, you have to pay for the Equip furniture, you furniture. have to, yeah, transport it. But and I then, can- And there's gotta be, and then there's different furniture for different properties and yeah yeah absolutely but i think it's a really great way to be different i can tell you that there were several properties which were couldn't be sold for eight nine months by four or five major local agencies and we were selling them on the first open just by staging it i can i can say that one of these properties is 217 days road in grange another yep. one is nipswich yep this really works good yep. Okay, and that's really good, the staging. Was that something that they, they obviously always do at Pinnacle before you came along, or that sort of thing? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, absolutely. It was not It was an original idea. Yep. And another, another thing we do is we help with the renovation because we know how to make a good renovation, not to over, you know, supplying with the funds and to make it really not very expensive. We have a very, very inexpensive and very reliable suppliers and contractors working with us and they're helping us to do really nice renovations like renovate a two-bedroom unit um, 
$3,000. And it looks, trust me, it looks much, much, much better before because mostly units are tented and look mm. pretty, mm. pretty, not, not very good when they are ready. Okay. Excellent. That's, that's excellent. Tell us a bit about, I guess, um, how you sort of adjusted to the way of life in Australia. Has that sort of been a bit of a challenge or do you just sort of, you've welcomed the Aussie culture sort of in open arms? Is there anything that's, that, tell us some stories, I guess, here in Australia that you've found interesting? Um, I would say that we didn't face any major challenges adapting here because, again, we are very much international people and my wife before we met was visiting Spain many times. She was fluent, she was fluent in Spanish, so I mean, we have. I was traveling very extensively around the world, so I, we didn't really, we didn't really experience any major problems. Um, I would say that it is really interesting that basically communities are like like Chinese community, Indian community, Russian community. They are meeting with each other, mm. and um, the interesting thing is that. There are some people in these communities, like in the Chinese community, in Russian community, who live in Australia for 20, 30 years, and they don't speak English because they live in this community totally. They are not getting outside. You know, mm. this this really this really surprised me. I can't I can't understand how in 20 years you cannot learn the language. Yeah, and, and, that's and, interesting. I mean, I I see it quite a bit. You see. I mean, we are a multicultural country, no doubt about that. Not everybody speaks English here in Australia. There's quite a quite a number of people that don't. English may be the main language, but you know there are people that uh, that speak their own different languages, and that could be Italian, that could be um, you know Cantonese, Mandarin, uh, Japanese. All these other different languages that are out out there, and they stick to their own uh, community. So it's I've always found that quite interesting that they that they sort of either they're not sort of if they've been around long enough, as you say, and that's that's true, that they haven't learned the language. What do, what do you think that is? Um, I think probably it's um, it's there are several parts. One part is that probably they are lazy to learn language. Mm-hmm. Another part is that. Um, probably their imagination of the world is a little bit probably they didn't have much of international experience they were not traveling much before they moved to australia they were not trying to learn language like i know some people who never been in any country before they just moved to australia and that they live there you know some people they're using like russian dentists uh chinese laundries I don't know, um, Indian electricians just because they trust only people who speak their, their mother language. This is, this is really funny for me yeah. because, because I think that uh, living in Australia and not to be part of Australian community, I mean, this is, this is like not getting probably half of, of you know, of enjoy, enjoy coming from the Aussie, Aussie life. Yeah, that's <coughs> very good now. Um so what you've obviously I've seen that you like to to be you know I guess um, you like to be active on on social media yes um, obviously the mediums that are that are quite common these days Facebook uh, LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter tell us about those four different mediums how you use those four different mediums I guess Andy uh, what do you like best and any advice any tips 
Sure, absolutely. So in uh, 2013, I was very lucky to be on a LinkedIn Talent Connect conference in Las Vegas. So, so I, I really even had a chance to shake hand of a, a LinkedIn CEO. So the thing well. is, but, but it's, it's actually taught me a lot about using LinkedIn. So basically, uh, the main, the, of, these, of these four uh, social networks, there are, each of them have its own role. So basically, Facebook is a very, very good advertising um, tool right now. So Facebook is really very, very powerful. Basically, the majority of world population have Facebook. And um, you, it's, it's like, I would say that Facebook is a way to do businesses in a casual, ma- in, in a casual way. So you can create your pages, you can actually um, produce very interesting content. It can be a video, audio, text, but certainly video content always works much better. Um, Twitter is more like a news, news social media, so I'm certainly using Twitter, but uh, I don't think Twitter is a good uh, tool to actually attract new business. I would say that the best way to attract new business is Facebook and um, Instagram. Instagram is very, very powerful. Many people who don't use it are underestimated, but um, Instagram is working really very, very good. Instagram um, advertising is working fantastically. And there are a lot of ways how you can attract a lot of a lot of new followers in, in Instagram. It is working really good. LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn is another thing which works good. If you would be thinking of advertising and, or just using LinkedIn as a tool to get new business, Please find uh, Adam Holland. It's actually Australia is one of the mostly prolific specialists in LinkedIn advertising and, and, and basically using it for a business. He is really very, very good about that. He has his own Twitter, his own Facebook, so you can follow him on that. So, yeah, obviously the platforms, the way I use it, LinkedIn and over probably about, I suppose these days there's about 1,500 connections I've got on LinkedIn. It's a bit crazy, but, um, and that's just all about you know, finding network connections, but obviously recruit, recruitment, people use LinkedIn. My Absolutely. Bro- my brother in, in China, he uses LinkedIn. That's not banned in where he is. Um, they ban everything else. Um, so that, that's, that's how LinkedIn is used. And I like to put a few articles on there. I like to read a few articles on LinkedIn because there's some good, some good content from some of the people, you know, within those connections, they, they, you know, some smart people. Absolutely, you sort of, you sort of Absolutely. look up to, and then and there's a few influences there, so that, that's quite good. Twitter, don't really look at it too much, but you know it's there. It's you know you might look at it occasionally, it might pop up. Um, it's good for news, Tim. But, it's uh, really good for news. Yeah, it is. It is very good for news. Um, Instagram, probably the last twelve to twenty-four months is probably um, that's probably where I've sparked to the most, I guess, as far as social media. Uh, it's all about images, video, pictures. Um, and it's a good way, you know, it's a good way to sort of get engaged with different people. Um, so people with lots of Instagram followers, that, you know, it's certainly a good way to, to grow their businesses and uh, in a way where they can advertise their products, so they can link their products to these, these famous people and uh, they can get people buying their product. Um, Facebook, you know, that's, I don't know, I'm, everyone most people are still addicted to Facebook in Australia unfortunately that's just the way it is at the moment I'm hoping in five years time that's not the case I'm hoping the addiction's gone in five years time but right now 
the Facebook addiction's there. We spend too much time on it, no doubt about that. But talking about selling your property, obviously, what are the, the key things there? Realestate.com.au is obviously the most common in Australia. Uh, do you think it's a good place to list, obviously, because it is? Well, basically, realestate.com is the best place to list in, in Queensland. Yeah. So I would say that if you are selling a house, basically, realestate.com is the only thing you need, you need because probably 95, 97% of buyers will be there. That's for sure. Absolutely. Um, is, other- is, is domain a waste of time? Because I've heard stories that it is. People in Sydney say it's okay. What do you think? Domain, domain is, is more about uh, interstate buyers. So domain is more about buyers from Victoria, New South Wales, Western Australia. So if you are selling a property, which you believe can attract a lot of interest from interstate, that can be expensive houses like two million houses, which are affordable for more for more buyers in, in New South Wales than in Queensland, or maybe some units like units, for example, in Gold Coast. Absolutely, you can use domain. It's not that expensive. It's about one third one third of the price of realtor.com. Oh, but really? basically, yeah, cheaper, so, right? yeah, it is. It is much 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 cheaper. But again, realtor.com is more than enough. What about, have you ever sold a property by a share on Facebook? Um, well, in reality, in reality, it is... Um, or, or Instagram. I would say, I would say, um, I would say no, because the mostly successful agents in Australia, in, in Brisbane, have probably about, not more than 1,000 of uh, people who actually follow them on Instagram. So I would not say it's it's like a base of buyers. I would say more it's people who are interested in real estate. So no, so you can't. I would say that that social media for for real estate agents is more a source of um, like you know propose, actually showing their brand, their services to people. You know, finding some attention, maybe sometimes getting a little bit closer to the heart of potential vendors. But it's not definitely a channel to sell properties. No, definitely no. Because sometimes I'll see like friends that, that, that what they do is they, one of their friends or maybe they've got a property for sale and then they'll share it on Facebook and then they'll get some of their friends to share it and I don't know if that works or not but that's I know that's what people some people have tried doing I guess to to try to sell their house so compared to realestate.com probably it's zero point one yeah yeah obviously real estate anyone who's looking is looking yeah, yeah absolutely. That's that's exactly right. What what do you think about um, I guess the difference between sort of selling a property as a as a private treaty versus um, you know selling it at auction? Is there any? Oh, um, the bad news is that, frankly speaking, what I'm telling to my clients, I never, I never, never uh, offer them an auctions because clearance rate of auctions in Queensland is ridiculous. It can be 20%, 25%. As in ridiculously low, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely ridiculously low because in, in, in New South Wales and Sydney it can be 75 80%. Yep. And the thing is that another thing is why some agents are offering auctions because if they're auctioneers, they are asking for an auctioneer price, like a price which can be $500, $700, $900, and they're getting this money without relevance, they will sell or not your property on the auction. Yeah. So sometimes I'm just really sorry about the sellers because they obviously pay this money and because there is no result. Frankly speaking, the majority of auctions are not delivering any result. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say that 
um, if I see 10 properties which had auction, probably nine or 10 of them would fail in auctions. Yes. Yeah. So no, no, definitely it's private treaty. Their strategy, how to sell is best developed by the agent. Um, I want to say one thing about selling units. The thing is that uh, two, three, five years ago, the majority of buyers for units were investors. And when you have an investor as a buyer, you don't really take care much about the presentation of the house because investors don't really it's care. it's a unit, it's an investor. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. The thing is that right now, because the houses are becoming less affordable, and when you still want to buy in an area because of a school, because of employment, because of other factors, be actually owner occupiers are coming into the unit market and they are emotional buyers. And recently I was talking with a client and I was offering to this client to make a video because videos really put your property aside and I'm, I believe that I'm using the services of the best video production um, company in, in, in Australia for properties. Um, and also I offered to replace the carpet in one of the bedrooms because it had it was not in the best condition and that's what people are looking at. It's really not expensive. $400 to replace a carpet, $600 for the video, $1,000. Mm -hmm. um, actually, my client decided not to go with me because um, he was thinking that um, this is more suitable for like premium expensive houses than for units. And I believe this is a mistake. A lot of houses are selling for ages because people don't care about presentation because they're talented because they just, you know, not really, not, not even cleaned out there. And the thing is that um, the best thing to sell a unit is to have it vacant, because when it is tenanted, buyers don't feel like at home. Sometimes buyers feel really not comfortable and want to leave the property as soon as possible. So my advice is if, if you don't have some exceptional tenant with exceptional price, like, seven percent of of you know of income annually um wait until your tenant leaves clean the property make some slight renovation maybe stage it and put on the market that's very good advice i think i mean obviously it's, it's certainly and that's that's fairly much getting more to the norm i guess is having a property in a situation where it's comfortable to sell sometimes there's a financial downside to not to not having those tenants in there but at the end of the day you could get, uh, you know, you get, you could get a better strike rate as well, especially in a in a market that we're sort of dealing with at the moment. Absolutely, and I think is that um, CoreLogic believes that thirty two thousand units, new units, will hit the Brisbane market in the next two years, and this means that the competition will be increasing, and it is very very high right now. For example, in an area where units are selling very good, in Calvin Grove. The number of days to sell a unit, medium number of days, is 75, which is really a lot. It's nearly three months, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely it is. So, again, the way you show the unit, the way you present it, is really important right now in this market. Yeah, definitely. Do you think the, um, I mean, how important is having, uh, it must be pretty important, but having, if you're a seller uh, and you go to an agent and the agent has a good database of potential buyers. Is that sort of playing to things as well? Do you think that's sort of not as much of a factor these days? Um, look, the thing is that very simple. If we imagine that you're searching for a house in Evident Park and you 
just recently visited an open home of some agent. You didn't like the house, and he will put you into his database. Yeah. So the day when the 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 property will hit the market, you will see this uh, probably on realestate.com because you have a subscription for the alerts of new properties coming there. There yeah. is such a function. And you will probably receive a telephone call from this agent who has you in their database. Yeah. So basically, um, again, there is there's only difference is that there are probably 1% of houses which are sold off the market because that's the decision of the, of the vendor. And in these cases, yes, this this can make a difference. But frankly speaking, I would not say it's, it's really meant yeah, much. Yeah, that's, 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 that's uh, fair. Another thing too with these people that, that come in and go to these open homes, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty guilty of this myself. I'm sure a lot of people in Australia are guilty of this. Um, they'll leave details that are incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see much of that? Um, well, um, the thing is that um, when you want when you want to create a database of potential vendors from your open home visitors, certainly it may hurt you that big part of it is is not really correct. But the thing is that if people are interested in the property, they will find of course, you in yeah. any way. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And the thing is another thing is that basically there are there are ways to find correct details of any person in, in, yep. in Australia. Yep. You can find it on buypages.com.au. You know, sometimes I'm, co- I'm calling potential vendors and they're asking, where do you have my telephone number? It is actually not, not permitted to call me. I say, well, you just go to white pages. If you find the telephone number there, you can call that, because it is on the open source. That, that's if it's there, yeah. 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 It's sort of um, white pages is one of those things that when I was growing up as a kid, everybody was probably in the white pages um yeah parents were but in 2018 there's a lot of a lot of people just aren't in the white pages anymore um they like to i guess they like to keep themselves a little bit more private uh well you know so they don't necessarily get easily get found so that's sort of the more of the where we're sort of progressing i think in as we sort of as we get into these next generations as well i think uh security is becoming more important in life um people can People, it's easily enough to to create fake identities. You know, it's, there's a lot of things to think about these days, and uh, and you just want to make sure. You, you, you know, most people want to that are that are out there sort of want to make sure they're protecting their sort of identities as, as well, which is interesting. Um, yeah. So what uh, with networking, tell us how you how you sort of first came into the uh, group that that uh, that we have breakfast at. Uh, bots, um, you've probably been part of the group for at least a year now. Yeah. Um, obviously, you have I, I can't remember that you missed too many of these breakfasts. You love it. Tell me what you like about it. How you first came along, that sort of thing. Um, I met I met Marcel, who's one of the founders of the group. I met him on a Business yeah. North Chamber of Commerce meeting, and we had a very good conversation. We decided to meet for coffee, so I visited him in his office, and he said that he has his own group. And he invited me to come. And the thing is that I was visiting uh, several B4B meetings before, mm. uh, and I had a feeling that people don't really care much about others. And I think that when you are entering a business networking group, you should try to give referrals. You should just try to, to, to find this chance because it doesn't work when you just care about yourself. It works when you, you find referral to people. Maybe they don't find referral to you. But somebody else will in some time. Yeah. 
So in B4B, I had a feeling I was coming to three, four, maybe five meetings. I had a feeling that people don't really care. Yep. And uh, when it came first to bots, I, I really was feeling it's different. I really was feeling that people are much more relaxed there. They're coming there, not just, oh, where are referrals, referrals, referrals. They're just coming there to have fun, to meet great people, to learn, to share. And, and that was really great. So there was definitely a big difference. And I think I'm really enjoying coming to bots every time. I'm always very, very unhappy when I miss it. Last time I missed it, I was on vacation yeah. in Asia. So next time I'll miss it, will also be a vacation. Yeah, definitely. And that's great. Uh, I love networking myself. I get in, as you know, I get involved in, in, in a few different, a couple of different uh, you know, bots, obviously every fortnight. Um, came along once to the Kedron Book Business Group. Sorry, I missed it this Wednesday. But that was okay. Um, uh, a new a new cafe that had just opened a new one along Kedron Brook Road. Uh, very nice sort of nice sort of um, area. Uh, I, I just ho- I really do hope that sort of area continues to flourish. I, I do worry because um, we've seen a few changes along that Kedron Brook uh, Road in recent times. Um, there's been a f- three or four different cafes close or, and reopen or close completely. So. It's a bit disheartening, but at least the, I, I guess the local member Trevor Evans has um, got the right idea to at least try to get some government funding targeted three different areas of Brisbane, Paddington, uh, Racecourse Road, which you're, you might be familiar with, yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, Kedron Brook Road to be able to put a bit of funding in, get the shop fronts looking, uh, get the shops sort of open and, and, and open for business. Um, so it's, that's that's quite. Uh, uh, the other, obviously, the other group that I'm part of, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't think you've been along to any of the events. Is the Valley Chamber of Commerce, which is um, more centralised around the inner city of Brisbane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, very vibrant. Quite happy for you to come along to one of these events sure. one day. Um, but yeah, very. It's very social as well. So, and I've, you, you will make. You know, there's obviously connections that you can make in that sort of environment, in a sort of social end of day sort of environment, as opposed to. Obviously, breakfast and end of day sort of the best. We used to do like a couple of years back. We used to do sort of lunches as well, which was a good way of you know getting a networking group together for lunch. So it'd be good if we can bring something like that back again, just to see. But it doesn't. It's not. It's probably one of those things that may not work permanently either, because it breaks up the whole day. Your lunch doesn't it? It's sort of it's, it's right in the middle of the day. Um, so you obviously you've been up. You've been up and down the coast. Um, do you prefer the Sunshine Coast or the Gold Coast? Is there any, any particular preference that you've got? Um, they're very different. They're, they're so different. different. Yeah, yeah. What's What sort of suits you better, do you think? Um, the thing is that when we're, for example, um, taking some, some, some room or unit you know, for renting for a weekend, I really love to live somewhere in the 35th floor in the surface paradise and some Elton. <laughs> Because the view is beautiful, uh, you know the the breeze is fantastic, and it's a it's a very very special feeling when you live so high. Yeah. Um, okay. and, yeah. Yeah. And and definitely and definitely Gold Coast has so much to offer, really. Yeah. I mean, the things like uh, like Carambin Beach, you know, um, Surface Paradise, Harbour Town, so not so much to offer. Uh, no, no, uh, actual Sunshine Coast is it is different. It's much more. Calm, it's all like less touristic, and but there are so many beautiful things like like a golden beach, like very very beautiful uh, point cut right, 
which is absolutely splendid. So there is so much to offer. I like really both. I really like both. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess what, for the rest of your, uh, is it, what do you, what do you have? Have you set yourself any any goals at all um, over the next five years that you want to achieve? Now that you sort of you've, in my opinion, you've you've got yourself into a, a good new niche. Uh, you know, selling real estate. Is there something you want to achieve in this space? Um, do you have any particular goals? Yeah, absolutely. I do have goals. Uh, the thing is that basically, when you're getting into a new in- in service industry like real estate, you have to set you up there. You have because in real estate, it's not about who you know; it's about who knows you. So for me, it's very, very important to create some sort of a of a network of people who know what I do and who really impressed impressed about what we do because I can tell you one of the most rewarding part of the job is that in in May, Jul, May June, July I have been actually renovating a large house in Everton Park after it was tenanted for two years and it was including construction of a new bathroom downstairs, replacing the floors, the whole paint, a lot of things. And sit, looking at owners' faces when they actually step in after that because they just gave the keys to even the Sunshine Coach just gave the keys and they actually step in one and a half month later and they were so much impressed and to see their faces is something very, very rewarding. So I would say that I really love serving people. I really enjoying. You know, recently I helped um, a couple to sell their house in Logan Central because that was the chance on the chance for them to move to a new really nice retirement village and I was recently visiting them at their new place and they, they really look so happy I think that actual helping people is, is in my blood and I'm definitely I'm definitely very very passionate about that the goals are to um, actually have a lot of a lot of potential and and real vendors you know who need to get help in selling their house and the thing Tim is that people in Queensland are losing tens thousands of dollars because they're not thinking about how to present their property because they're agreeing for many agents who are offering to sell as is because they're not they're believing that it's too expensive to make a renovation guys I want to tell you that renovation can be inexpensive for example a two-bedroom unit in Kelvin Grove absolutely revolting condition after many many years of renting Replacing the carpets in the bedrooms is $750, $750. New, completely new, beautiful paint from a very, very good paint team around the whole unit is $880, including GST. New blinds is $1,000. Some small things like changing locks, you know, etc. doesn't cost much. And it's $2,500, but it looks so different. It feels so different. And buyers do like the, the the smell of a fresh paint, so I would say that definitely my uh, I do have some financial targets. I do have some targets on finance things. Had that in my mind. It hadn't come out of my mouth, but yep, that's that's good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I do have some financial targets, absolutely. And we have a plan on buying investment properties probably every two two and a half three years. Absolutely, that's what we have in our mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, I do. But I, the, th- the first thing I want really is to let people know what we do and we really do it differently yep. and we really bring different results. People really lose a lot of money. Yep. Trust me, selling house as is never, never works. 
Recently, I sold a house in Chemside West. It was a little bit emotional story because um, an elderly woman and her husband have been living there for more than 40 years. Then the husband unfortunately passed away. And now the time came when the lady had to go into the actual retirement village and nursing home and have, have very, very nice children had to sell it. So it was, can you imagine, 40 years, there were no renovation. It was actually all filled with furniture, all filled with small things. It was, it, it, there were no any free space. And I was very, very privileged and blessed that they actually believed me. So they decluttered the whole property for in several weekends. We made a renovation there, put in new carpets, put in new fresh paint. And when this lady came in, uh, you know, to have a look what happened, she was so much pleased. And I was very, very happy to sell that house. And that, that's what we do. We really help people to yeah. get more from their properties. Um, one thing I just wanted to ask you about before, uh, I guess, finishing up as well, you, you said that you, you, you've, you've, you've sold properties around Logan, um, Chermside West, and obviously Kelvin Grove. Everton Park, yeah. Um, so it seems like it's all over um, yep. Brisbane. Uh, how does an agent sort of succeed uh, trying to know uh, a lot of different areas like that? I mean... Because a lot of a lot of agents are sort of specialised to one particular area, but I have seen agents like yourself um, that sort of spread their wings very wide uh, to go from all the way from Logan up to Caboolture, selling property. So tell me, how does that work for you? Our, our team of the way it works is that referrals are coming, and when I have referral coming from Logan or Murrayfield or Caboolture or anywhere else. If it's not like two or two and a half you know, hours of drive, which makes it very, very complicated, I'm absolutely happy to help. And, and I'm just, you know, in Logan, I just got a referral actually from a board group member, and uh, I did my best to help it. You know, we staged the house and sold it pretty quickly. So yeah, absolutely, this is the way it works. Certainly we are based in an garage. Certainly we're trying to work with local potential uh, sellers in Inaugurae, in Park, in Hills, Mitchelton, uh, Chemsad, Chemsad West, Kedron. But I would say that uh, because the majority of new listings are coming from referrals, um, I'm absolutely happy to work everywhere. I love to travel. I love to drive, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's more about how do you sort of get a feeling for an area as well. If you sort of, if you the first time, look, let's say it was the first time you've ever sold property in Logan, how would you sort of go about knowing what's going on in that area? When you when you know how to analyze the market, when you know how to get the information, you just sit, you spend probably an hour or five, well, I don't know, maybe one hour and 30 minutes, and you know everything about the market, you know what was sold, what was on the market, what is the average number of days for houses, what's happening, how, things so are selling your, so you can do your research at your desk pretty yeah, much. yeah absolutely absolutely certainly you do research on the desk and for this house for example the average um housing price is three hundred five thousand dollars our our actually probably was was a more than that because we were on the, on the upper segment but you just know you just feel what houses are Plus, I always go for many open homes to see what what actual the offering, mm. and um, you always know you always know there's always a range, you know. Yep. There's always a range.
No, I think that's been very helpful, Andy. Any sort of final words for the listeners of From the Valley podcast now approaching 300 listens, I think we are. Oh, fantastic. Well, actual congratulations, Tim, for starting this podcast. I think you're making them very, very interesting. Look, the final words are, guys, have a look. When Whatever you have to sell, is it a car? Is it it's a property? Um, actually, get a good think about that. I can tell you that, for example, if you're a buyer on the market, buying property is very, very complicated. Don't be emotional buyer. If you're buying a house, think what will be actually influence, influencing the growth of the property price in the future, where the transport is, where the parks are, what about the shopping centers, schools, universities. And uh, don't be very emotional as a buyer. Uh, think about what's going to happen with the property in the, in the nearest future. If you actually fail to get a couple of properties, you had offers, you missed them, don't be affected by this. Buying a property needs time, sometimes several months. So just don't be in a hurry because those emotional buyers, those people in a hurry, they also pay premium. And don't buy properties off the plan. Okay. Excellent advice, mate. It's been a really good podcast here on a Friday afternoon. Uh, this is episode number 16. Uh, that's been Andy Verenchuk from Pinnacle Property uh, and at Inogra. Uh, Tim Wilshire from Confidential Tax and Business Services. Uh, this has been uh, From the Valley Podcast. Uh, Brisbane Business Life. Have a great weekend all. Thank you very much. Thank you.